The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Wow, what a show do we have. I am so, so excited to have you all here. We got so much great stuff to talk about. I am just looking forward to the conversations we're going to have. And I figure before we kicked off our proceedings today, I wanted to just tell you all a little bit about the state of the show and where things are right now, where things are going, because let me tell you something viewers and listeners. The coming summer is going to be, dare I say, the summer of Break the Business. There is going to be a lot of fun to be had, a lot of whimsy, a lot of merriment, and a lot of indie artist empowerment going on this summer. This program is going to grow. We got some cool things coming down the pike, and I'm so excited to have you all as part of it. So if you're joining the show for the first time or you're a longtime fan of the program, I want you to be a part of what we got going forward starting this summer. It's going to be an absolute blast. I'm going to tell you all about it here in the first segment. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about what we got going on in the next segment. Coming up on this program, my guest this week, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, indie creator going in the music business. And I mean this in every sense of the word. Aside from being just one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet, really great sense of humor, just a kind heart. Uh, all around. She professionally has accomplished so much and just does so many things well. And, and I don't exaggerate when I say this. I can't tell you how many times I've given a talk at a conference and referenced something that Mary Amber did. Oh, you want to know how to do a great artist website? Talk to Mary Amber. Oh, you want to know how to have a good handle on your social media? Talk to Mary Amber. You want to know how to perform the heck out of a live stream and build fan and audience engagement? talk to Mary Amber. I talked to my clients about her. I talked to her during conferences. I talked to her on podcasts all the time. She's one of my favorite go-tos because again, she does so many things well. And that's who our guest is in the next segment, Mary Amber. I want to bring her in as early as I can. I think I might even go to an early commercial break just so we can have more time with her because she's such a fun conversation and she has so much great insight that the more that you can have of her and the less of me, I think the better off we're all going to be. But I do want to talk about this summer of Break the Business that I am uh, pitching to all of you to tell you about what we have going on that's going to be an absolute blast. So here's what we have, okay? Coming this summer, uh, I have two big, two big projects on my to-do list for this podcast that I think are going to be both very, very exciting. The first and this has been in the works for a while, and I have not announced this yet on the program, and I might even be jumping the gun by announcing it now. So I might get in trouble for this, but we're all just going to, you know, we're all friends here, right? We're going to keep this between us on this uh, public live stream that anybody can watch. Nah, this is just between you and me, okay? This summer, Break the Business is going to launch on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. <laughs> Heck yes, we are going to be on uh, Slam Radio, Sirius XM, channel 145. We've been doing this podcast for five years. It's always is, existed as a podcast. And let me be clear, it will always exist on, as a podcast. If you get this program as a podcast, that will always be there forevermore. But 
we're expanding, baby. We are uh, reaching new frontiers because we are going to have this same podcast on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, reaching all new people, empowering a whole new class of indie creators, and just uh, continuing to move forward. I'm so excited for this opportunity. I'm excited for what this means for the program. I'm excited for all of the guests and all of the co-hosts that we have on this show. Uh, when, when I found out that the Sirius XM thing was going to happen, the first thing I thought about was folks like J.C. Smith, folks like Zach Sloan, Katie Zaccardi, that come on this show, Evan and Elisa that have been on this show a bunch of times, folks like Mary Amber and other people that we've had on this program that are now going to get a whole new platform to show themselves to the world on satellite radio. I'm so giddy about it. This is going to be an absolute blast. So excited for that. In terms of the exact date, we know it's happening this summer. We don't have a date nailed down yet uh, because... I'll be real with you. Mainly, there's a lot of work that goes into getting something like this set up for satellite radio. So we're still crossing some T's and dotting some I's. But the moment that we have a date, you have my my word as Scout's Honor. And by Scout's Honor, I mean I was a Cub Scout for like two weeks and then uh, I quit because it was too hard to make a little Pinewood Derby car out of a block of wood. But Scout's Honor, the moment that we have a date for the launch of Sirius X, break, business, break the Business on Sirius XM, I will let you know, and it's going to happen, and it's going to be great. So that's cool project one coming on the horizon that I am just tickled pink about. The other thing that we got going on this summer that I'm, I'm going to do, I promised uh, producer Lauren that we were going to do this, and I figure by bringing this up on the podcast, we have to do it, right? Because I'm saying it in front of all of you, so you, I can't go backseas on it. This summer... I want us to do a 24-hour telethon to raise money for a worthy cause. So if you remember, this would have been, what, last year, Lauren? I think, yeah, nodding there. Last year, we did an eight-hour telethon to raise money for the Sweet Relief Foundation, which uh, all that money, I think we raised like $4,000, which was super cool, all to go towards uh, artists who 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 lost their gigs or were suffering uh, in some way because of COVID. And we raised a lot of money for them. Sweet Relief was so, so grateful. And we had eight hours of programming. We brought in all these performers. It was an absolute blast. By the end of it, I was completely exhausted. I had to sleep in the rest of the next day because of how much it drained me. And so naturally, I want to do it again. And I want to do it even bigger. 24 hours this summer. And I'm thinking, although we haven't nailed it down yet, and I would appreciate suggestions here, I want to raise money for some of these venues that have uh, been losing out during the pandemic. Uh, These venues that have been shut down for all of 2020 and have missed their artists as much as the artists have missed them. And a lot of them are suffering. And even though we've had some federal programs in the United States, like the Save Our Stages Act, that was supposed to bring money into those venues. As of today, I think that program has still brought in $0 for those venues. Big old goose egg. Uh, Because, you know, the the, federal government, it all takes time. But So we want to see if we can get them at least a little bit of help right now. So I'm thinking we raise some money for them. We do a 24-hour telethon because clearly I hate myself and I apparently don't think I deserve sleep. So we're going to do that this summer too. That's coming down the pike. We don't have a date for it yet. But if you have any suggestions on what we can do to really make that a cool event, how we can raise some money, uh, some good causes we can direct those funds to, let's do this. We got a big, big project. I've always said this show is at its best when... It is an interactive experience when folks like you feel like you're part of this because we're all in this together. I'm not myself a professional creator, 
but I support professional creators. Professional creators are a big part of my livelihood and my legal practice. And so I want us all to be one big community moving things forward together. So if there's anything that this show can do to make things better for you in terms of topics we can cover on the program, questions we can answer, guests you want us to interview, areas of the entertainment business that you want us to bring in somebody to talk about, this is your program as much as it is mine, and I encourage you to, to be part of that process. So, uh, you know, keep me posted. You can tweet at me at Ryan, K-A-I-R, which is my Twitter account, or you can email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com, and let's be part of this together. Anyway, I'm excited to talk to Mary in the next segment. Uh, one of the things I want to bring up to Mary, uh, among her many things that I think about her that are delightful, is one of them is she's a huge supporter of geek culture. Uh, she she has so many like cool geek fandoms as part of what she does. She once did an entire album of nothing but Doctor Who tribute songs. And by the way, that album, banger after banger. Every single song was terrific on that album. But she did it because she loved Doctor Who. She knows her fans would love Doctor Who, and she made a really terrific album. And so she's got the geek culture bona fides. And so I want to ask her this in light of an experience I've had recently. Maybe this will be the first question I ask her when we bring her in topic I have uh, to cover with her is this. Is your 30s too old to be getting into anime? And the reason why I ask this, and I'm not asking, I want to say asking for a friend, but it's definitely asking for me, because like I've always been a nerdy cat. I have plenty of nerd fandoms, like I'm super into Star Trek, but I never got on the anime train growing up. I never did. You know, I, I mean, look, look, don't get me wrong. I can appreciate a good Miyazaki movie, all right? You you put a Kiki's Delivery Service or Spirited Away on my on my uh, television, I will park myself there and watch it because it's brilliant. But in terms of really getting into the anime culture, I never did. It's not because I, did, I thought, you know, I didn't like those people or whatever. It just, it just didn't do it for me. But here I am now in my 30s. I'm scrolling through Netflix one day, just kind of hanging out with it. And I come across... Netflix just tells me I need to watch this program called Your Lie in April. And it was clearly an anime I could tell from the picture. And I didn't know anything about this show, but Netflix said I had to watch it. Why, I don't know. Who, who knows the weirdness that is the Netflix algorithm? But it said I had to watch it. I Googled it. It said it was an anime about music and musicians. I was like, all right, you got me, Netflix. I'll, I'll, I'll be down for that. And let me tell you, Real good. Real good, that show. I mean, anime is fantastic. How did I miss this in my childhood? Considering how much of a nerd I am, how did I never get on this? So now here I am in my 30s. I feel like I've missed the boat because now like I'm just in a Google rabbit hole where people are telling me, oh, you got to watch One Piece. Oh, you got to watch, uh, you know, uh, all, all these different shows that are just, you know, as good or not better as the, than the one you just watched. And now I feel like I have a lot of catching up to do. So I only say this, I bring all that up to say this. If you have any recommendations for an anime that I need to watch, let me know. Shoot me something in the comments. I'm a blank slate. I've seen nothing other than like your spirited aways and your ponyos and things like that. But if it's not a Miyazaki movie, uh, I haven't seen it. And so I encourage you, like, if, if you think you have something that I like there, I want to get into this world. All right, let's talk a little music business here. Let's talk about the entertainment biz, because that's what you're all here for. I got a really terrific listener question 
last week that I wanted to bring up a little bit because it built off of something that we talked about last week. Here's the question. Somebody wrote, Dear Ryan, on your show last week, Oh, wait, let me cover up. The, there we go. On your show last week, you talked about The Calling, the band, and the fight over the use of their band name. You had said that the band could have avoided their fight if they had set up a band agreement at the beginning that would say who owned the band name if the band broke up. And that got me thinking, what other things should go into a band agreement? Yes, I like the way you think, question asker. This is such a good question. And it is something that clients come to me all the time with band agreement questions and wanting to set up band agreements and asking if they should set up a band agreement and, but not nearly enough are because for every client that says, I want to set up a band agreement with my bandmates, I have all these other musicians out in the world that I know that are in bands and their bands are doing things and their bands are making money and their bands are making career moves and they don't have a band agreement, which means Oh my God, something could go wrong. And I'll say this for every band out there. If you're in a band, if you're in any sort of creative group, not even a music band, just any sort of creative group where you're collaborating with others, you need some kind of agreement that lays out how you're going to work with your bandmates. This is so, so important. So I want to just delve into this listener question a little bit. I got a little, I have a little uh, graphic uh, here. Here, I feel like I'm a news reporter now if you're looking at this on the stream because I have the uh, PowerPoint up. But this is so important that I wanted to kind of break this down uh, as like a little PowerPoint presentation. So before I get into this, I got to give my boring legal disclaimer alert. I am a lawyer. I am not your lawyer. Every situation is different. I'm going to talk about some general ideas when it comes to band agreements, but your specific situation you need to bring in your own attorney who can advise you on that and give you legal advice. This is not legal advice. This is a podcast. All right. We did that. Boring legal disclaimer done. All right. So the first thing that you need to uh, think about with band agreements, and this is what I often hear back from clients when they tell me, oh, why do we need a band agreement? They'll always say something like, well, why do we need a contract with each other? We're not on the same. We're not on different sides. We're on the same team contracts are only for people who are on opposite sides of a deal and a band agreement. Why do we need a band agreement? What is my bandmate going to sue me? You only need a contract if you're going to sue somebody. And here's what I always tell artists when they bring up those completely understandable concerns. And if you're looking at the graphic there, if you're watching this on stream, you will see that I have some Uno cards set up. And I, I don't know uh, if, I don't know if they, like, I have to ask Mary if they have Uno in Australia. I, I don't know how much of a worldwide presence. Okay, she's nodding in the green room that Uno is a thing there. Okay, so if you play Uno, this delightful card game, you know that every person who plays Uno has slightly different rules, right? You go to somebody's house and you play Uno and suddenly... Everybody thinks that they know, right? Everybody thinks they have the same rules for Uno. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I know how to play Uno. Yeah, yeah. If it's a red card, you put down a red card or the number, it's Uno. And then all of a sudden, somebody starts stacking draw twos on top of each other. Or you don't have a card, and they say, oh, you only have to draw one card. Or no, you have to keep drawing cards until you get the card that you're looking for. And everybody has a different interpretation of these rules, and everybody fights. And so what do you do to resolve these fights? You come up with house rules before the game starts. You say, here's how we're going to play this version of Uno. Or you actually pull out the instruction manual 
and you go by the rules that are in there. And folks, that's what contracts are. Contracts aren't these dangerous, scary things that lead to lawsuits. Contracts prevent lawsuits because they are the instruction manual of how your band is going to operate. They set out the rules of the game at the beginning so that you guys aren't yelling at each other 10 years down the road because somebody stacked a draw two and you said they weren't allowed to do that. Same thing goes with bands. You need to figure out what rules you want to play with with your bandmates before things get complicated. You want that band agreement signed before you start making money. You want to agree to the rules of the game before you start having success, before you start making decisions and career moves, and before you start hiring people, before somebody quits the band, before somebody, before the band breaks up. Because if not, you end up like with the situation that we had last week with the calling, where the two members of the calling split, and then both of them were fighting over which one got to use the name The Calling when performing. You know how that could have been fixed? With a band agreement. So what are some of the rules in the game that you might want to use when you're, uh, when you're setting up a band agreement? And so we'll talk about some of them here. First of all, your band agreement should cover how are decisions made. How do you make decisions as a band? Is it majority vote for everything? Does it have to be unanimous? Or maybe you have a model where you have one person who's kind of the CEO of the band. That makes all the decisions. By the way, I've seen every different version of this. I've seen some bands where it's like, oh, it's all Mary makes all the decisions. Mary's the one who really runs the show and she knows everything. And she's yeah, I see Mary nodding in the nodding in the uh, green room there. You're like, yep, that's me. And so we trust her to make the decisions. I've seen some bands where they're like, nope, we have to all agree before anything gets done. Whatever arrangement you're gonna make there, put it in writing. And by the way, you might differ on how different decisions are made. Maybe creative decisions are made together as a band. Maybe business decisions are made by one person. Maybe you want to have different rules for uh, band, you know, different voting rules for whether the band decides to borrow money or spend money or buy property or enter into a contract. Maybe you want all the band members to agree before you enter into a contract. Maybe you want all the band members to agree before somebody's kicked out of the band or somebody new is brought into the band or somebody is hired or fired or, or profits are dealt out to the band. You get all that stuff in writing and then you don't have fights later over, uh, oh, I, you aren't allowed to make that decision. That's a band decision. We all have to make it together. Get it in writing. How are profits divided? You know, when your band starts making money, how do you pay each other? And... All the money that comes in for your music projects, is that all band income? Oftentimes what I see with a lot of bands is we tend to, I've seen a lot of bands treat songwriting income different from other forms of band income. So when a band sells uh, records or a band makes money at a live show, they might say that's band income. But then if there's songwriter royalties, maybe only one person in the band is writing songs or maybe only two people in the band are writing songs. And so maybe we want to split, you know, kind of segregate the songwriting income and have that be dealt with differently. That can all be covered in a band agreement. Uh, band intellectual property. Does your band own the sound recordings as a band, the masters as a band? How about those individual songs? Does the band own the songs that you wrote or do each of the individual songwriters own them? How about extracurricular activities? Are your band members allowed to do side projects? Is the band the only thing that the band members can do? Or can they do other things too? You think that these things are all 
You, you might think as a band member, oh, I know the answers to all this, but I bet if you ask your band members these same questions, they might have a very different interpretation for how these things go. And the only way you can find out is by asking, and the only way you can resolve them is with a band agreement. How about adding new band members? This is another big one. Um, how do you decide when a new band member gets brought in? Does everybody have to agree? Does a majority have to agree? When that new band member comes in, what profit share do they get? Do they get uh, you know, proportion to everybody else? Or do they get more? Do they get less? Something I always tell band members to do is if you're going to bring in a new member into your band, make sure they sign the band agreement. You want them playing by the same rules. You don't want to bring somebody into your Uno game who thinks that they can stack, stack draw twos while the rest of you can only play one draw two. So make sure that that band member, if he comes into your band or she comes into your band, make sure they sign that same agreement too. How about if a band member leaves the band? What do they get when they leave? Uh, do they get future royalties from the recordings that they've played on? You got to work these things out. And then the big one, not that you guys will ever break up because I know bands last forever, but hey, it might happen. What happens when your band breaks up? What happens to your property? What happens to the assets? And in the case of the calling from last week, who gets to use the band name when the band is done? And I'll tell you, in a lot of cases, when I've negotiated band agreements, usually the only thing that all the band members can agree on is nobody gets to use the name. And that's better than sort of the hard feelings of one person using it and saying, hey, you're not allowed to use that. That's my band name. But whatever you're going to agree upon, get it in writing up front before things get complicated. Because one day when you're a big rock star and your bandmates are big rock stars, that band name is going to have a lot more value. And it's going to be a lot harder to figure out who gets to keep that name when you break up later than it will be to figure it out now. So those are just some of the things that you want to look at in any band agreement. It's not an exhaustive list, by the way. Band agreements can be long. They can be complicated. We've only scratched the surface of just some of the items that can be covered in a band agreement. But I encourage you, if you don't have a band agreement and you're in a band, talk to your fellow band members about some of these items. Start getting to think about what matters to them and, and what your band wants to prioritize. And then bring in a lawyer. This stuff is complicated. You don't just want to write down something on a cocktail napkin. Bring in a lawyer and make sure that you have your own lawyer. The way this should really work is every band member should have their own representation because for the, until you get that band agreement signed, you all have different interests. And so you, you need to have your own representation to make sure this gets done. And is it going to be a little conflicty at, per, at, at first in terms of like, oh, you know, my bandmates are, you know, we all hate each other because we're all fighting over this stuff? Yes, but I'm telling you, I've done a billion of these band agreements, okay? It's a little bit of arguments and a little bit of uh, acrimony, and then you get the band agreement signed, and then you can move forward. And that little tiny bit of acrimony on the front end is a thousand times better than the fights and the lawsuits and the dollars spent on the back end. And in terms of the cost of the attorney, it's a lot cheaper to hire a lawyer to negotiate your band agreement for a few hours on the front end than it is to hire a lawyer to fight a lawsuit for you 10 years down the road on the back end because you didn't have a band agreement. And once you have that band agreement in place, revisit it regularly with your band. You'd be surprised how much with the passage of time, the things that you think you've agreed upon with your bandmates wind up not being 
the, the things that you're actually doing in practice. So it's okay to go back, revisit your agreement, and make changes to it with your bandmates as needed. And uh, this stuff is, is so, so important. It's a, it's a huge When I see somebody wrote in the chat, Mary and the Sorks is the name of my mess, my next band. I would, I would, I would definitely want to open for Mary and the Sorks anytime they would want to play. That is fabulous. All right, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. Let's compose ourselves. We got Mary Amber coming up after the break. Don't go anywhere. Keep listening or watching as the case may be to break the business. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Let's get back to the show indeed. Our guest right now is an Australia-based recording artist, songwriter, musician, comedian, and Twitch streamer. I can't believe I got all that out in one breath. I almost didn't make it. Check her out at maryamber.com and at twitch.tv slash maryamber. Mary Amber's on the show. Hi, Mary. Hey, yo! <laughs> oh my gosh, we are we got your whole Twitch set up here. We got the this is like where you actually this is where the magic happens for you. Kind of, yeah. I mean, obviously, I've turned off alerts and things so that we don't get random rockets flying across the screen or ducks walking across the bottom of the screen or anything. <laughs> but this is the room. I can change the color of the lights or the uh, camera angle if you want to see whoa. the full coat. Whoa, whoa. Close up. Let's, let's not do that. <laughs> whoa. She's got camera angles, people. Man, the people listening to this on the podcast are missing out. <laughs> That are, I do want to talk all about how your Twitch stream comes together because you are my favorite musician to watch on Twitch simply because oh, of just the incredible you. production that you bring into it. But first, a compl- a non-music question that we have to carry from the previous segment. Um, as 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 the ambassador of geek culture that you are, Mary, I have to ask: is is your thirties too late to get into anime? No, of course not. <laughs> there's there's no such thing as too late. 
I mean, there's arguably a such thing as too early, but I mean, in, certainly in general, depending on the anime. <laughs> there's no such thing as too late. There's definitely no such thing as too late. Also, I, I have to say, like, um, maybe in the past, geek culture would be a lot more gated and people would be a whole lot like, oh, you cannot sit with us. But I, I would say it's a very welcoming community. Uh, and the anime community certainly is a very, very welcoming community. Um, also, it's just a it's a really beautiful art form. You know what I mean? Uh, anime, it, it, it has a whole lot of different skills that you don't see in other categories. Uh, it's got a very specific art style, um, very specific voice acting, and uh, very, very good music as well. It's very um, heavily uh, connected to music, I would say, like more than a lot of other, um, I guess, uh, film mediums. It's, it's very strongly tied to music. Like o almost every anime I can think of has lots of like theme songs and character songs. And yeah, so I definitely, I definitely think that it's something that you dig and definitely there's no such thing as too old. You're so right it's about everything you said here. And, and I want to echo it and keeping in mind, you know, my, my anime experience is just like this one that I just saw this week. And so I'm, I'm bringing very limited base of knowledge to the table, but that was one of the first things I noticed is how, the medium uses incredible animation and music together to just evoke responses in the viewer that I just don't typically see from other forms of animation, like the things they do with facial expressions and the the way that this use stirring kinds of music. Just it just it's powerful and it, it's really really something. Uh, do you have any recommendations for me? Because all I've seen so far is a. Uh, is your lie in April? And by the way, if any of you viewers have seen it, I have not seen the last episode yet. No spoilers, I beg of you, because I've been told the last episode is phenomenal. So, but yeah, any other recommendations you have there? Um, I have to say, I am not a massive anime buff, but um, oh, jeepers, that would be a tough one. Uh, one of the ones that's really easy to access that you don't need to have, I, I guess, any sort of subscriptions or anything for. I think it's still easy to access is Ruby because that's on YouTube. Um, that was one of the ones that I remember watching. And this is relevant because I'm still kind of recovering from a cold right now. But I remember <laughs> back another when I had another sickness, that was what got me through one of those. I was just sitting there as the pile of mucus potato, whatever you could call it, just sitting watching. And it was absolutely wonderful. So that's one. Obviously, Patrick's in there with Dragon Ball. So any of the uh, nostalgia animes, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, none of this Dragon Ball Z business. <laughs> Z. Um, uh, or uh, Pokemon, obviously. Uh, they're, they're always good options as well. That's something a lot of people know a lot about that you can chat with. I, I, they're all on the list on my, you know, fake pencil under my hand here. I got them all written down. I'm going to check these out. Much appreciated. Before I ask you about your Twitch stream, Mary, one of the commenters asked a great question during the break. Lauren, can we pull that one up? I, I you know, about band agreements. I wanted to bring it in here. Maybe you have some perspective on this as musician. Uh, Pat Cat Amber writes, how much time do you tend to spend with the band member you represent before the band agreement meeting? There must be a lot to cover to learn the individual needs of each member. And I'll say this, Pat Cat Amber, the, this, is, uh, this is such a big part of the band agreement negotiation process. In fact, I've done so many of these at this point that I actually have a questionnaire that I will put in front of the client. 
that has all the stuff that I covered uh, in the previous segment and a bunch of other things. And it's not just useful for me as an attorney to know what my client wants. It's useful for the client because sometimes the client doesn't even know what they want out of a band agreement until they, you know, actually write those things down and think about it. But yeah, that's a, that's a big, big part of that process. And I would say any attorney that you bring in to negotiate your band agreement, that should absolutely be a big part of what you ask of them during that process. Have you ever like done any band stuff, Mary? I've, I've always seen you as a soloist. Have you never, have you, have you been able to spare yourself of that particular acrimony of collaborating with other musicians? Um, I've I've done like little things with bands here and there, but I've never really been in a band per se. Like I'd, you know, do something fun with a group here and there, but not like officially as a main thing. No, unfortunately, I would have loved that, but no. It doesn't surprise me because if for any of you who have seen Mary's Twitch stream, she is she's big enough on her own in terms of the things that she's doing there. And and look, when I, when I say what I'm about to say here, like I don't I don't uh, mean to diminish all of the other great Twitch streaming musicians out there because the ones who are out there, they're you know what, you know if you're just playing in front of a camera and you're playing songs and you're doing covers and you're talking to your stream, that's great. That is fantastic. Keep doing what you're doing. I love those streamers. But what Mary does with her Twitch stream as a musician is so admirable. And I encourage all musicians to check out her channel just to take notes, if for no other reason. Because, Mary, your stream is a whole production. You got music videos, costumes, you play characters. Uh, every kind of episode, you're doing something a little different. You, you keep it fresh, you keep it interesting. To me, it's less of a Twitch stream and more of a variety show slash TV show that happens to be on Twitch. It, was, that, was that something that was sort of a work in progress for you? Like, did it always start out that way? Or what kind of drew you to the way that you're doing Twitch now? I guess it, it's definitely been a, a, a work in progress because you, you don't know what you're doing when you first start. <laughs> like, I mean, now there's more of an established, like, base of people doing things. But when I first started... It was mostly people with a webcam and a blue mic playing music, mostly covers to the webcam, freezing up every couple of frames. <laughs> and uh, it was just very exciting because you got to communicate with people. But I remember the very first stream, I wrote up this big show schedule and it was going to be a mix of live performance and videos. And and that's that's like, you know, how I originally planned the very first show. So I guess having a little... Uh, video content like this is an example. Tarvis vacations. All the costs is a millisecond of your um, time. Was always that was that was always a part of the plan, uh, because it's uh, it's been there since the very first show when I put that in there. Um, however, I learnt certain things worked better than other things. Uh, the characters were not something I was planning on doing. <laughs> um, it just I think. I, d I did one once for kicks, uh, and I think it was black and white historical person who's this absolutely awful person from history, uh, and she hates absolutely everybody. And um, I, I, this character appeared once on the stream, and people seemed to find it very fun and requested the return of black and white historical person. And then out of that grew a few other characters. But it, it was something I definitely didn't initially plan to do. It was more something, I guess, 
it's hard to say there was a demand for it. I guess I, <laughs> I, I accidentally fell over into a black and white historical person costume and then um, <laughs> people liked it enough to keep wanting more of that. So that, that kind of grew from there. But I'm always experimenting with things, whether it's, you know, um, changing the colours of the lights in the room. So maybe I should have picked a more dramatic colour change. <laughs> or if it's something along the lines of uh, different performance styles, like now I've got backing tracks. Um, I've even got a, uh, I've got a show that I do with the video that I sing along to. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Singing on top of it. And just like lots of different, I I just try all things. And I suppose some things work better than other things. Often it takes longer than you'd like to realize that something is not working. um, Because no one's going to straight up tell you, this is a shit idea, Mary, stop it. (laughs) Uh, But eventually you start being like, oh. Uh, there are less people watching, something's going on. I think at at one time I had a very, very video-heavy stream and then uh, numbers went down and I was like, okay, I can't do that as much. I say that ironically right now because I'm probably going to have a very video-heavy stream later today just because I'm a bit unwell. But um, one thing I learned is in a live stream, people definitely want the live element so you can't overdose with the video element because then people will be like, well, people like to interact with you. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So. And that that's something you're great at. I, I want to go back to something you said about keeping things fresh, about experimenting, as you called it. Because to me, that's one of the things that impresses me the most about you is even even now with, you know, with, with your, you know, partner status on Twitch and and this, you know, cool fan base that you have, you still like to take big swings, as we say here in the States. You still like to... To try new things. I mean, we have you know the the opera that you made with the Ocarina, right? The the Ocarina Operina. You're yeah. you're doing a TV show pilot. You have a new TV program that you do with your husband Pat. You you like to create new things, even as you have this thing that that's working and that's cool, and your fans respond to that. You know what what motivates you to keep trying new things and expanding your art, even when like there may be a tendency to be like, let me just play to what we already have. Uh, well, I, I, I suppose that that's a human thing more than anything. I guess, like, I mean, if you look into a mirror, Break the Business podcast has just come so, so far since the very first time I got to appear on your show. You were going to be on friggin' satellite radio. Right. Soon. How insane is that? So, I mean, you could answer this question too. <laughs> I think it might just be human nature. It's uh, y- You want to do different things and more things and try things and the nature of things is that an awful lot of them don't work out. So you might as well try it, figure out whether it works or not, and then move forward rather than having it in your brain running around, running amok, causing issues, <laughs> making a smell, and not actually getting out there. So what drives you as an artist then when you choose a new project? Is it just is it just as simple as this thing's rooting around in my head, I need to get it out of my head and create it? Or is there some sense of you trying to kind of figure out what you think might be most enjoyable for your audience? Like, is it is it artistry first? Is Does the audience play a role? Uh, or, or do you roll it out there and then just see if the audience likes it? I, I'm interested in how that plays out for you. I guess it's different depending on the thing. 
Like it, it, it depends on the thing. Like say for example, with the uh, video karaoke thing that I was showing a second ago, this thing um, where I'm singing along, that was 100% audience driven. Um, I, I sometimes watch back my Twitch streams and I'm like, oh, it's getting a bit samey, need to fix it. Uh, so that's audience driven. Some things are very much just um, driven by curiosity or inspiration. Like when I wrote the, the Doctor Who album, obviously I was not like, this is going to be a giant commercial <laughs> success because it's, it doesn't really align with what, you know, you'd envisage as a giant commercial success, but it is something that, you know, I felt inspired to do. Um, and, and sometimes it is purely artistic. Uh, like, for example, I would say uh, when I made the graphic novel uh, or when I made the robot that I exhibited in the art gallery, uh, soon I'm going to be registering a business, Amber Industries. It's going to be running purely on bureaucracy. I'm going to make a little bean counting robot <laughs> and there's going to be an online form. The only thing that happens when you fill it out is you have to pay fees and you get more forms. But all of that is 100% artist driven. That's like just the concept appeals to me so very, very much. Like I just, I have to make it. There, there isn't um, some music executive somewhere uh, who got you into a meeting room and said, Mary, we need a bean counting machine. It's, <laughs> no. The, the audience is demanding it. They're beating down the door. We, we need something that counts beans. Forget, you know. Yeah, that's, no. that's, <laughs> that's wild. And I, I dig it. It's, that's so, so cool to me. And, uh, and and you you're working on a, a TV show pilot, right? Like I, I saw for years on your stream that you were you were trying to raise uh, crowdfunding towards a TV show pilot, and I and you hit the funding goal recently. What's that going to look like? Well, the TV show pilot's an interesting one because I was speaking with uh, one of my friends who is in the film industry many years ago, and this idea was floated. Um, the idea originally was uh, the, the official kind of like plot line scenario of uh, an old lady with a cat with a huge amount of wealth passing away and then leaving everything to the cat. Um, and uh, I, I, I remember sitting around a table with her, another one of my friends. I was there. I kind of wrote myself into that plot line and invented a crazy hobo loon bag that would be the character that I would play in. And it just kind of, you know, we were all throwing ideas out and this thing was growing. I did not have the initial idea, so I do have to acknowledge that. But I, I just loved this idea. And we were chatting about it for a long time, back and forthing. I wrote, um, I have a Google Doc of over 30 pages of dialogue <laughs> that I wrote for this thing. It's actually bonkers. And, uh, and, and then I was like, how likely is this to actually turn into a thing? And my friend who actually works in the industry um, has worked on many things that you've seen probably on Netflix, Stan, etc. Um, turned around and said, very unlikely because you need a really, really large amount of money to get these things off the ground. And I was like, how much is a large amount of money? And uh, she turned around and said, you know, 30K is like basically bare bones you're just barely scraping through and making anything. And I was like, ah, ha, ha, 30K. No, <laughs> because that's, that's just a mortifying amount of money. Some 20 years ago for 30K, you could buy a house. Um, now, obviously, that's laughable. But still, 30K, 
It's, it's a very large amount of money. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the average salary in Australia, like average across the board, is about 50, 60K. So just when you think about that, you're like, yeah, that's whew, a lot of money. So I, I, I didn't think it would ever be a thing. Um, years passed and I've been streaming on Twitch and I usually have a donation goal up. And I thought maybe I'll float it as an idea for a goal. I didn't really think that the, the community would choose it just because it was such a stupid amount of money. It was in the end, it was a 20K goal because it was in US dollars and US dollars are significantly stronger than Australian dollars. So 20K US dollars is about 30K Australian dollars. Um, so I put forward the idea of a 20K donation goal for a TV show pilot. And the nutbags in my community <laughs> decided that this was a great idea and voted for that to become the goal. It was such a unanimous vote that I couldn't talk myself out of it. Uh, and I certainly couldn't talk them out of it. So the deed had been done and it became the goal for quite a long time because, I mean, obviously it's a stupendously large amount of money. <laughs> um, and and I... Not Pags represent in the Twitch chat. Hello, Kraken, not stirred. I'm just, <laughs> just addressing uh, the Twitch chat there. But um, yeah, so I, I, I was fundraising on the channel and I got in touch with my friend and, and she's like, really? You think this could even be a thing? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I, I told her, don't get too excited. I'll have it there for like a number of months. We're probably not going to make a huge amount of progress towards it. And then I'll probably take it down as a goal. And then after half a year, we got halfway through the goal. And I was like, okay, it looks like there's more progress being made than I expected. I guess we'll do this thing. And um, at about that point, actual, I guess, uh, things got into gear behind the scenes and uh, started happening. So people were brought on board to be part of the production team. Pre-production was happening. Uh, the script was getting worked on. I did say at the beginning there were ideas being thrown around and I was writing dialogue and everything. But the way that these things work is uh, you can't be every single role in a film crew. You might so, be able um, to. <laughs> well, th this is the thing. If you want to have a professional production, uh, not the best idea. No, okay, fine. Yeah, so, um, have it your way. <laughs> so in the end, uh, I'm, not, I'm not the head screenwriter. Um, I'm not actually... I, I have a say in the writing to some extent. Like, I throw out ideas and things, but I'm not actually doing the writing. If I look at the TV show pilot, there's a number of scenes in that pilot that I wrote in the original, like, 30-page document. And I'm like, yes, it's making its way in there. <laughs> but, you know, that's not what I'm doing. So I've been trying to focus on the main, I guess, thing that I have custodianship of, which is the character I'm playing, um, which is the crazy hobo delusional nutball and the songs because there's going to be a song at the end of each episode of the show theoretically and a song at the end of the pilot. Um, so that's that's kind of where we're at now. So I'm hoping to go into about a month of solid songwriting to see if I can get the best possible song. There's already a song in there which I think is really good so I don't know if I'm going to be replacing it but I'm giving it time in case. Uh, and then after that we'll hopefully start getting into actual production of the pilot the uh the hope is that we can apply for grants to increase the pool of money we have to spend on the pilot um it already feels like a stupidly large amount of money but apparently in the film industry it is not so <laughs> yes yes the uh, uh 
We are applying for more. And then, uh, obviously, the goal with the pilot is to get a full TV show. So then once we've made the pilot, we'll be trying to shop it around and get a full TV show. Now, I know it's not a fair question to ask, but of course I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there even just the ballpark timeline, the roughest estimate of a timeline for when this super awesome pilot might come into our lives? Uh, there is. I do not have privy to that information. Because no. there, is, there is a team of people working on these things, and I think I have delayed production by a month <laughs> because I requested to give myself time to do songwriting. They were like, we've locked the script. And I'm like, wait, wait, rewind. You've locked the script, which means I can't write another song. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, but, but I need time. I need time. So I think I've delayed it. But um, <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's two, two, two producers, a director, an associate producer, and a bunch of other people who are on the main board, as well as the head screenwriter, who's also the showrunner. And they have little meetings where they've done things like timelines, equipment, what roles need to be filled and all of that sort of thing. I haven't been invited to those meetings because I would be there the entire time. I'm, I'm a curious cat. <laughs> so I'd be like, what is this for? Why do we need this person? Who is this person? Can I see their file? So they probably are just like, okay, we don't need Mary there for that because she'll just slow us down, which I think is fair enough. I haven't worked in the film industry before and I do trust the team that is being built. Now, um, I think that's an important thing you need to do in that industry. I'm so excited for this. From the very beginning when I when I would watch your streams and just see what you do, I always thought like some sort of television project for her would just seem to be a natural fit. Now, Mary, something I was talking about in the beginning of the show, uh, right at the introduction, is one of the things that I said, which is absolutely true, is you are so often the example I bring up at conferences, in speeches, to clients, presentations, whatever, about examples of doing things right uh, in your entertainment career. Oh, you need to look at a good social media presence, look at Mary Amber. Oh, you want to see what a great Twitch live stream looks like, check out what Mary Amber's doing. You want to see what it's like to handle a bunch of different projects and to stay fresh and ambitious with your art, check out what Mary Amber's doing. And so by, by sort of my own objective standard of like what I point to as this is somebody who's doing indie creation really well, you're the person I point to, but I know you've spoken to me in the past about how, um, you know, it's still a challenge even for somebody like you who, you know, I point to as somebody who's kind of on the top of the mountain. Um, and I know that, you know, it's it's a theme on our show about how, you know, it's it's a struggle for any creators. While I often try to direct musicians and other creators away from sort of letting some big company steal your art and steal your money... The indie route is fraught with peril as well, and I was just wondering if you had any thoughts or perspectives on kind of where where we are now in terms of the state of the world with indie creators and and what we could do to make things better for them. We talked all about this last week in America about how we're not nearly doing a good enough job in this in our country to support indie creators. I didn't know if you uh, had any perspectives on just that whole world. <laughs> Have you got an extra hour or two that you could book in for the hey, show? Hey, we're just I, I, all day. I'll just oh. I'll mute my mic. Just let you roll. I, I think that uh, honestly speaking, I was very naive to this when I first got into becoming an indie creator. I personally don't have another choice. I I don't have another route. What I do is not um, typical 
commercial music. I don't do pop music. I don't do rock music. I don't do something that, you know, you could go to a record label with. I mean, I could go to a record label, but I, I think it's highly unlikely that uh, something like that is going to uh, um, fly. Because what I, what I do is essentially somewhere between musical comedy, social commentary, social satire, filk, nerd rock, it's in that kind of realm. It's it's not something that's a big commercial thing as of yet. Um, I hope it will be in the future. But uh, because of that, I, I do have to go down the indie route, or at least I've always felt that's the case. But uh, I do also feel very strongly that, and, and, and there's going to be people who disagree with me on this for certain, and there's going to be people who think I'm extremely cynical, but that's actually true. I'm the happiest, chirpiest, bubbliest, cynical person you'll ever meet in your life. But I am, I am pretty cynical at this point. Um, I do feel like a lot of the independent route is uh, a distraction, if anything, to what the main industry is in a lot of ways. If you look at the people who are the big players, um, the people who are charting number one, two, three, etc., uh, around the world. They are not the people who sat on YouTube and put up a new cover song every week. They are not the people who built up their audience slowly on Twitch over the course of a number of years. They are not the people who are, you know, little by little pieced together their independent fan base. Um, sometimes they have that story behind them, uh, but a, a lot of the times if you look into it, you get sorely disappointed to find out that it is mostly false and just PR. Right. Uh, the people that actually get there seem to have a different route. If you look at like people like, I don't know, Billie Eilish or Taylor Swift or Lord or someone like that, they, they did not go down that independent route. And as an independent musician, you are told most of the time uh, by others that this is the correct thing to do to slowly build your audience you're definitely told by industry personnel that oh if you want to get signed to a record label you have to show that you have a million followers on tiktok first and i, I do actually be believe this is a bit of a fallacy because if you look at the people who have made it that that is not the route that they did take and a few years ago like four or five years ago people could tell you that story and it was a lot more believable because it was still very new then. But we're now four or five years down the track from that point. And those people that uploaded a cover song every week are still not the people who are leading the world of, of the industry. They're, they're still not the people who are breaking out. They're still not the people walking down the red carpets with very, very few exceptions. And I will say there are exceptions, but I, I will also qualify that with very, very few. Um, so I, I do still feel like in a lot of ways the independent route is allowing people to have a career that might not have otherwise been able to have a career, but it is still not on par with the, I don't know, the big smoke industry or whatever you would call it. Yeah. Now, I, I will say with the big smoke industry, similarly, not everyone that gets signed to a record label becomes a big famous person. Um, well, obviously. very few of them do. And uh, very, very few people do. But if you look at the people who are at the very top, uh, there's pretty much no exception. They're all people that have gone down that route, which I think has made me a bit kind of cynical of it all. Um, so so that that's something that I've come to the realisation of. However, like I said earlier, I wouldn't be able to go down that route uh, with the sort of music I do, with the Doctor Who album and the Westworld-themed album and the... Uh, various comedic songs about stabbing people in the eyeballs or whatever it is. 
Uh, it's not something I could go up to Sony Music and say, hey, I think this has a market, because I think they'd turn around and probably water it down to the point where it's just a doof doof beat and twerking or whatever it is. Like, it wouldn't work, you know. It's, it, it's allowed me to have a career, being able to take this independent route. Um, I, I will say that much like the big spoke route is fraught with danger and it is because what people don't realize with the record industry is it's not that you go to a company and then they make you famous you go to a company and you get a very large loan with terrible terms yeah. and that's basically all that is the the independent industry is also fraught with danger and i think the biggest danger with the independent industry is the majority of people cannot make a living and this includes many people I know that have millions of followers, that have hundreds of thousands of followers, that have brand deals. As far as brands, if they can get away with not paying you anything and sending you a free lapel mic, they'll probably do that. As far as uh, social media sites, there are some, notably I mentioned TikTok because that's a big thing right now, that pay nothing. There are some like YouTube that have managed to demonetize basically every video with music in it. Uh, so there's a lot of these independent routes that look like they would be lucrative and certainly performers in those uh, areas that look like they'd be quite well off that are actually having to struggle very, very hard. Um, it's also a very noisy, noisy industry. Yep. I think both of them are noisy at this point. Uh, but certainly the independent one is insanely noisy because anybody with uh, a laptop... Nowadays, most laptops have a webcam built in or a microphone, can become a musician. Uh, and it, I think that's something that has also made me quite cynical is uh, back in my day <laughs> when I was a young little whippersnapper, uh, people used to need to play an instrument, read music. You know, these things were somewhat necessary. Like you'd have a metronome, you'd sit down and you'd try and play in time with the beat. You would get a guitar and you would play until you had blisters and then you'd stop for a few days to let the blisters heal and then you'd play again <laughs> and eventually you could get to the point where you could play for some time. Nowadays, you, you plug into a program and you drag and drop a few samples. You don't even have to know how they're made. You know that when the number is higher, the, the beat is faster <laughs> and when the number is slower, it's slow. And then you go on top of it, you go, ooh. Yes, baby, baby, yes. I made a character just to make fun of this, and it's now become one of my most <laughs> popular characters. Um, because that, that's, that's just a thing now. And I think that that makes it extremely noisy because yeah. there's not a single person on earth that is not capable of becoming a musician in the current climate. I say musician because there would be some debate. Some musicians would absolutely um, run after me with a spear for saying that that is a musician. But like, anyone can really jump in there and do this now. Um, especially with the proliferation of things like, I don't know, The Voice, American, Australian, British Idol, uh, yeah. etc. We've also got every second person walking around believing deep within their souls that they are an undiscovered vocalist that will change <laughs> the entire of the course of history. So it's extremely noisy and anyone can do it and anyone is doing it. Um, and you are competing with that. Yeah, it's uh, you. You are competing with that. It's sort of the 
the blessing and the curse of the new music industry. It is a blessing that content creation, promotion, distribution, 20 years ago, these things cost a fortune and now they're free for everybody. And that's great. And it allows somebody like Mary Amber, who did a whole album of Doctor Who songs to have a worldwide audience where they would not have, where I would have never been able to hear her album 20 years ago. And that's a blessing. It's also a curse because now it's free for everybody and it creates a very saturated entertainment business where it can be hard to break through. And I'm intrigued by something that you said earlier in that, which was, you know, just hitting us with a lot of uh, really powerful truths there. And it, it uh, barely started. This is why dangerous. Don't ask these questions. I you want those do answers because five years ago when I started Break the Business, the, the show was about, you know, the theme of the show was we need to break artists free of the big entertainment companies and find success as an indie artist. And what I've noticed over five years is I still think the first part of that is true. I am sure of it with every fiber of my being that that model is dangerous. But what we've seen over the last five years where we've, as we've done this program, is a lot of today's creators are trading the slavery indentured servitude of the big media companies for the slavery indentured servitude of the big tech companies. So now instead of the record labels not paying you, it's all these tech platforms not paying you and exploiting you as creators. And we've substituted one crappy thing for another. And so now this show has sort of evolved into saying, okay, we think indie is the way to go, but now we need to advocate for an indie music industry that is more fair to creators and allows creators to thrive. And, and that's where I'm sitting on it now. Oh, can I, can I just add to that? And if you get me going on this rant again, it's an issue. So this is your fault. But (laughs) when you say slavery to the tech companies, I have a particularly big beef with this because as someone that is a independent creator online, and I've, literally complained about this straight to my audience before. I've complained about this to the Salk community. They're aware of my viewpoint on this. It is mortifying to me that right now, everyone is trying to uh, please algorithms on these various websites. And these algorithms, they, they, they prioritize one thing above everything else, and that is engagement. Now, engagement, does not lead to quality content. So uh, the example I always give is if you've got two videos and one of the videos is uh, the future of astrophysics, for example, and the other video is hot chick falling downstairs, people will inevitably click on hot chick falling downstairs. And this kind of, um, I guess, choose your own adventure Uh, that the AI has put on the human race has led to us going down further and further rabbit holes. Certain things that were just considered completely, I would never do that five years ago, are commonplace nowadays. This is in everything, whether it comes to, um, I I think a somewhat safer example is sex. Sex sells, we've always known that. Whereas in the past, you just have a slightly suggestive image and that would be considered sexy. I don't think there's a teenager nowadays who hasn't seen literal porn on their social media sites um, and doesn't see that as commonplace. That is commonplace now. Uh, and, And you have to go further. If you are in the sex industry, you have to go much, much further than just being naked or having sex because that's boring now. People are bored of that. They've seen it. Yeah. So it has to go further. And that's, I think, the safest. I think the most dangerous is that um, hatred uh, is 
is one of the uh, wonderful engagement things that people do really, really well on, things like hatred and anger. And in the past, you could just be disgruntled with something or disagree with something, but now you have to go further. You have to hate more. You have to be angrier. You have to... And I feel like the algorithm is pushing creators and artists not to express their artistic true, you know, vision, but to create something that's clickable. And to create something that's clickable means going further and further in these kind of base human instinct directions that are quite unhealthy. To evoke those um, base emotional responses in in the viewer, whether it's sex or whether it's hatred. I mean, there's a whole... There's a whole, there's a whole list. Hot yeah. Tub <laughs> Videos is now a category on Twitch. It's its own category on Twitch because there are so many people in hot tubs that they're like, all right, we got to take this out of just chatting because like this is now its whole art form now. And I mean, like, the, the, it, I'm not saying that um, any of these things are wrong. I actually think the sex category is, as I said, probably the safest because, like, I mean, enjoy yourselves. But, like, I, mean, I think the most dangerous category is, is probably hatred mm. and anger. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's caused a lot of issues. Uh, but as a, as a creator and as a musician, you are not immune to this. Uh, as, a, as a creator myself... Uh, as much as I'm sitting around being like, maybe I should do music streams in a hot tub. I'm not. But, like, you know, obviously that might, things like that might come up. It's more along the lines of you see musicians uh, putting out very strong, I guess, political statements uh, or statements that play into this. It doesn't even have to be genuine. You never know whether these things are genuine or if they're just... Uh, for PR and to get word out there, but you are pushed further and further to do that, to write a nice love song or to write a nice breakup song or to write a funny song or a clever song uh, is often not enough if you want to survive in that environment. Um, uh, one of the uh, Twitch comments says, hot tub and electric guitar, not a great combo. <laughs> uh, I would agree. I, I would agree. <laughs> Wait, that's just useful as a public service announcement. Yep. <laughs> because it's only a matter but, um, of time before the hot tub category and the music category start cross-pollinating and somebody's going to try to bring their Fender Stratocaster into a hot tub and it's not going to be good. So I yeah. appreciate the commenter for for getting that awesome. out there. Um, an interesting comment from McMarty V. Blockchain music distribution and blockchain show ticket distribution will break the mar- m- break the market and be more fair. Um, that that is a very interesting that is a very interesting point that that might actually make it more fair certainly less people I guess what, what's it called when people buy tickets and then sell them on eBay for like ten times the price oh, yeah um, I, I can but, tell you uh, I'm interested in the prospect of blockchain for the legal side of the entertainment industry things like smart contracts which can handle payments uh, you know through blockchain without intermediaries and just you know get money faster and in greater quantities to creators and simplify legal transactions, which means less work for me. Um, and so maybe I have to find other ways to make a living, but ultimately is better for indie creators. And I- I'm excited for the potential of blockchain. Mary, I-, I wanted to ask you something a little more frivolous. We did some <laughs> let's, like, let's get off that. <laughs> I know we did some hard hitting stuff. Um, for the third week in a row, I want to talk to somebody about Eurovision because this is the first time I've had somebody on the program who hails from a Eurovision country. How familiar? How familiar? No, it's okay if you if you haven't. Um, like you, because I, I know your Australia is fairly new to the Eurovision game, 
And, um, but if, if it's not something you're getting into, like, I want to get you into Eurovision because I, I think it, it, it fits you. It's just so much fun. I think DJ Ombara should make an appearance on there one year. Um, but, um, I, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen this year's Eurovision. Well, for, for the sorry. record, and I'm not just saying this to suck up to you, Australia's entry this year, Montaigne, absolutely got hosed. She got eliminated in the semifinals. I thought her song Technicolor was awesome. But I want to know, and I think I can get the commenters on board with this, what is it going to take to get Mary Amber to enter a song into Eurovision? Because I'm telling you, okay, I am the biggest, I'm the number one Eurovision fan in the United States. I have dubbed this of myself. I'm telling you, you will have the entire US of A behind you. Um, you know, one one former British colony to another, we we have your back. Uh, you would totally crush this. I don't know, because you see, this is the thing. Like, my general songwriting is very... Literary is certainly the wrong word, but I, I come from a European background. So I was, I was born in Hungary and I have a Hungarian mum, obviously. And uh, sometimes I'll perform my songs and they'll literally be like, I'll oh, slice your eyes out with a knife or something. And they'll be like extremely like not appropriate. And my mum will turn around and be like, very pretty song. So I feel like it could be kind of problematic because I could see myself stepping on the uh on the eurovision stage and you know singing a song about like i don't know something entirely bonkers and people being like oh very pretty song and me being like you don't get it at all (laughs) oh that'll happen but you also won't be alone in having a bonkers song at eurovision if that's the route if you go the bonkers route i mean you should see what Iceland does on an annual basis. And every single year they bring it, but it's always something crazy and wacky. They had, they, this year they had these like 360 degree keytars, which are absolutely amazing. Um, Germany had this guy walk out with a, a walking hand. It was like, he was like shaped like a hand. It was, and, and so like, you know, off the, off the beaten path is welcomed at Eurovision. But anyway, just, just putting it out there, all right? You got 12 months till next year's competition, and no pressure, but if you move forward with it, you will have an entire country behind you. Not just your own country, who I'm sure will come out in droves for you, but the U.S. of A. Like, we don't get it. We don't have a vote in Eurovision. We don't have a dog in this fight. And I'm telling you, our country will adopt Australia if Mary Amber competes, because you I, would absolutely I, I, I crush it. I think that... Uh... In Australia, we mostly get, I don't know, winners of those singing competitions to go across. I think that's what we usually get. Someone like that. One person's <laughs> bonkers and problematic as another person's unique and provocative. I say go for it. Right on. I, I, would, love, I would love for uh, DJ Umbra to get on there. Um, DJ Umbra is a character that uh, comes on the show. Can I play like a little snippet? You so can do whatever you want. So this is DJ Umbra. DJ Umbra in house with folk. Yeah. No spork, just folk. She's unique, the folk so sleek. It stubs, it grubs. I used to eat kebab. Up. I feel like that, that, that character is built for Eurovision. She yes! gets around in a mankini. She sings about cutlery. Uh, I feel like that, that, that would be the one. That's the character I was telling you about where I tried to make 
music that is as musicless as possible and as meaningless as possible. That would and, not uh, even be the wildest yeah. thing at Eurovision, for the record. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, all right. Yeah, it sounds like you've already decided to do this. I don't want to speak for you on this, but that's the vibe I'm getting uh, all the way across the on the other side of the world there uh, from your... If I had the power, if I had the power <laughs> to just be like, pick me. But the Australian music people, don't, they don't pick me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, this I always have so much fun talking to you. Not only did we have just like a really fun, silly conversation, the viewers and listeners got to learn more about you, but you also laid some hard truths about the state of the business, which I loved. And I have a smile on my face. We blew through the normal a lot of time for this program, but given who, given what we're doing, I, I, I'm all for that. Like I, I, Lauren was like texting me like we're way past 55 minutes because we're trying to we're trying to train ourselves, Mary, to do 55 minute shows for to practice for satellite radio. And this week oh, I was you just got like, the wrong guest on? well, no, well, I, I had a feeling when I was going to talk to you that the 55 minute guardrails, we were just going to blow right through them. And that's fine because I love who I'm talking to. Uh, but let me ask you the final question that we asked. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Um, okay. This, this tip is going to sound very lame and crap. But it's the same tip I think I keep giving. But I keep learning more and more as I grow older and more decrepit in life how important this is. But make music for yourself. Make the best music that you can make. Make songs that you love, that you're proud of, that express who you are. Be yourself. I know. Shitty advice. Be yourself. Doesn't that just sound like the worst advice? But honestly speaking... Nothing is more important because this industry, whether you are in a record company and they're telling you to change to be more commercially viable or you are an independent artist and the algorithm is telling you, no, we're not going to show this video to people. Whether you are sitting back watching hot tub streams and being like, maybe I need to change my approach and start wearing a bikini while I sing or you are you know, looking at the current trends and thinking, oh, maybe I need to write a political song to get clicks. All of those things will lead you astray. The thing that is going to make you happy is doing stuff for yourself. Because even if you get successful doing the other stuff, you know what your reward is? Having to do more of it. And if you don't love it and it's not you, what an absolute utter waste of time. Oh. Okay, that was a fabulous answer. Mary, this has been a treat. Um, don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again as many times as you're willing to tolerate me because uh, you're my favorite person in all this. And oh, you've so been on this show so many times and every time it's wonderful. And so I'm glad that we're, we have the live stream now so we can make a visual element to this. It's great. Thank you so much, Mary. So thank you so very much for having me on. And everyone that is here from the Sork family that is watching, please, please do drop a follow and show your support to the Break the Business podcast. Honestly, it's just such an amazing tool for independent artists to have access to someone of Ryan's caliber. Because what you're looking at here is not just cool dude, cool podcast. He is like a top-notch entertainment lawyer and is sharing that information essentially for free for people to be able to listen to and learn from. So it's a big deal. That means a lot coming from you. Thank you, Mary. All right. Uh, 
So I, I should mention, uh, we got some great guests coming up in the subsequent weeks. Uh, next week, we got Bree Noble with Katie Zaccardi. Uh, great advice there. A couple great musicians also in June, Ella Luna, and another ukulele player on June 23rd, uh, Ray Robinson's going to be joining us. A lot of fantastic performance. Just a lot of great shows coming up, so stay with us. Follow us if you're not following us already. A lot of great Wednesdays coming up for Break the Business. Thank you all so much for watching. We will see you next week.